Um, it's so great to be with you. I, I tell you what, I tell you, I, I, my name's Andrew, by the way. If you're new to the Vine, so great to have you here. I'm one of the pastors. Um, I could not be more excited about the next number of weeks that are ahead of us here at the Vine. Uh, we're going to be starting a brand new sermon series next Sunday uh, on Psalm 23, perhaps the most important, uh, the most famous psalm, uh, the most beloved psalm that we have in the Scriptures. Uh, and we're calling this series um, A Restful Presence, Psalm 23 for an Anxious World. And uh, the reason why we're doing this, and I'm going to be teaching through the whole series. We're going to do about five weeks with each other. We're going to unpack every verse of that psalm. But the reason why we're doing it is because we believe that this psalm is not just a personal call to find a place of rest in God, a a personal call to have God as our shepherd and, and for us to know security. But actually, Psalm 23 is about a discipleship. It's about a way in which we are to live in the world. In other words, Psalm 23 is not just a place for personal rest. Psalm 23 is designed for us to be a restful presence planted in a chaotic world. So when the world is freaking out, when the world is struggling with all the things that it's struggling with right now, when the world is trying to find its feet and get settled, it looks to the church and it says the church is suffering all the same things that we're suffering, but they're not freaking out. Why? That's what Psalm 23 is about. It's about teaching the people of God how to find themselves a non-anxious presence in an anxious world world. And I want to tell you this. If you could get your head around that, if you could begin to wrestle with the idea that God can enable you to be at peace despite the craziness of this world, you will be incredibly attractive to those in your sphere of influence. I can't tell you the number of times in my life where people have come up to me and said, people who don't know Jesus, why, why are you so at peace when things seem to be so crazy? And if you're anything like me, there's a lot of times in your life where you're also crazy, where you're also overwhelmed. Hands up if you're feeling a little stressed or anxious even right now. You're all lying, okay? (laughs) We do, don't we? We feel stressed. We feel anxious. We feel overwhelmed. But Psalm 23 is an invitation not just to find personal peace, but to be that peace. To show the world. And I can't tell you how more attractive it is for people to say, wow, I want to be like that. And not like I currently am. Freaking out all over the place. So starting from next uh, Sunday, I'm going to unpack that over five weeks. I cannot think of a better sermon series for you to invite your friends and family to than this. Hands up if you have any stressed people in your friend, friend group or family. Right, invite them to church next week. This will be a great opportunity for them to hear about that. But today, before we get into Psalm 23 next week, I want to do today a one-off message that I'm, I'm, I'm sort of seeing as a precursor, a prequel, if you will, to help prepare you as best as possible for Psalm 23 that's coming next week. Because as I, as I spent the last couple of months studying Psalm 23, and I've gone into quite a bit of research and detail about this psalm, something struck me quite powerfully. And, and it's, as I dug deeper into the psalm, I realized that there is some critical spiritual work that has to happen for all of us before we can begin to appreciate the power of what Psalm 23 is actually inviting us into. In fact, if we don't do this important spiritual work first, we're going to miss out on everything that I think God wants to share to us in that series. 
the idea that before we can begin to think about what it is for God to be our shepherd, before we can begin to think about what it is for us to be led by quiet waters and into green pastures, before we can understand the power there is in being led through the valley of the shadow of death, of having a table laid before our enemies, of understanding that goodness and mercy will follow us for the rest of our lives, before we do any of that, we have to realize that there's an internal spiritual battle that is happening in every single one of us that is stopping us from receiving what Psalm 23 is all about. And here's what that internal battle is. The opening of Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. The internal battle that we are all struggling with is that we want to be the shepherd. Think about it. That we want to be the ones in control. That we want to be the ones that has it all worked out. And so this is as simply as I could put it for today. Before God can be our shepherd, we need to learn to be sheep. Because what is that metaphor if, if we're declaring that God is our shepherd, we are ultimately saying we are his sheep. We are his flock. And we follow after him. The reality is, here's how Psalm 23 starts for the most of us. I am the shepherd. Where are my sheep? For I'll make you lay down in quiet waters. We have this tendency as humans to take control. To take power. And I think what we have to wrestle with deeply is why is this taking place inside of us and how come when it happens, although we think we're going to find peace, ultimately all that ever results is more stress and anxiety for us. Is God really your shepherd? Well, if you're anything like me, I think your response to that question might be, sometimes. And I'm the pastor of a church. So I could imagine for a lot of us sitting here, for watching online right now, you're going, yeah, sometimes for me too. There's another passage in Scripture, in the Psalms, that's almost as famous as Psalm 23, that is designed, I think, to help us prepare our hearts and our lives for all that Psalm 23 has. And that Psalm is Psalm 46, verse 10. And here's what it says. Be still and know that I am God. Ah, isn't that a wonderful word? Just be still and know that I am God. Oh, we've heard that said so many times. Isn't it like just welcoming you into like a fluffy cloud? Just chill out and have a vacation with God. It's time just to allow him to be God and just you to chill out. This idea of being still and knowing that God is God is constantly spoken to us by fridge magnets around the world, by bumper stickers, by Instagram and Facebook posts. And here's what you'll see kind of accompanying this idea of being still and knowing that God is God. We will see the cheesiest, lowest form of art ever accompany this. 
Like when people are trying to communicate to you what it is to be still and know that God is God, the Christians amongst us will try to provide the my little pony moments of art to make you try to feel like you're at peace, all right? I went on the interwebs this week and I pulled out four simple examples that I think are quite summative of all of the stuff you'll find on the interweb. Are you ready? Here's the first one. This is the first one. It's the Scandinavian mountain view, right? Like, if you want to be still and know that God is God, go to Sweden, right? Like, everybody in Sweden knows God, right? Like, because they stare at that all the time, right? So you have these kind of Scandinavian mountain view pictures. Here's the second one. This one I call the butterflies. Yes. Like, if we want to be still and know that God is God, we must be hippies. Ah, enjoying the beautiful stillness of blue light and shadows and butterflies. Or how about this one? This one's pretty full on. This one is the forest that's turned into a psychedelic picture. This is like somebody was eating mushrooms in the forest, and now they think that God is God. They're like so freaked out by the colors of the forest. Are you with me? That suddenly they think that God is still and they know him or something like that. Now, here's my ultimate, ultimate, I can't stand it. We all know it. It's the cheesiest Christian symbol that there is on the internet. It is the man and the woman that stand before the sunrise and go like this. Yes. Be still and know that I am God. (sighs) Every single one of these horrible works of art, I shudder to even say that. Every single one of these pieces of stuff is designed to try to sugar you into thinking what this text is all about. That, oh, just be still. Just chill out. Just enjoy the sunrise. Get out there in nature a little bit more. See the beauty of the world. Crawl up under Jesus' lap and place your head on his heartbeat. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. The reality is this picture that accompanies this idea of being still and knowing that God is God is about as far away from the original context of that passage that there can be. In fact, if you read the broader context of Psalm 46, you'll be amazed that there aren't any My Little Ponies or butterflies or wonderful ideas of sunsets and people standing there like this. Instead, the broader context of Psalm 46 welcomes you into war, to fighting, to trauma, to turmoil, to the fact that Humanity is trying to kill itself. It's interesting, the wallpaper that should be accompanying this verse is people fighting each other. Could you imagine throwing that onto your fridge? Fighting people. Be still and know that I am God. Let me actually read to you the fullness of this passage in Psalm 46 because I want to unpack this a little bit together. It's 11 verses. It's good to read scripture in church. Amen? Are you ready? It says this, God is our refuge and strength. And ever present help and trouble. Notice that, trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, notice this. Though the earth give away, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam comes and the mountains quake with their surging, ah, but there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. But the reality is nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts up his voice. The earth melts. But the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. For he makes wars that are happening all the time. He is inferring here. He makes wars cease. 
to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Or in other words, he snaps the missiles and breaks down the guns. He burns the chariots with fire. He crushes the tanks. He stops the bitter battle. Be still and know that I am God. For I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob, our fortress. Can you see that there's not a Scandinavian mountain view in sight? And what the, what the psalmist is trying to communicate here is the reality of the world in which we live. He's not trying to make Christians get away from the reality that the world is a hard place. And the imagery, let me, let me show you this imagery again, this idea of, uh, he uses nature as imagery, that the earth give away, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, the mountains quake with surging. Later on, he speaks about nations in uproar, kingdoms falling. This language in ancient Near Eastern poetic language and form is not actually speaking about the, the nature of the world. It's actually a metaphor to speak about humanity by the, what we're doing to one another. It's a little bit like how the world is fighting each other and everything's falling down and all the horrible things are happening in nature. That's what's happening in us. That's what's happening between us. We're battling and raging with one another. We're trying to fight and be better than the other person. Nations are in uproar about nations. And all of this is taking place. And it's not what God has originally intended, but it's the reality of this world. And I, and I think today, some sort of 3,000 years later from when this verse was written, we come to think that that's still our world today. This is not some butterflies and soft lighting. This is the reality of what we're sitting in. In, in fact, I think if you were to write Psalm 46 today, here's some of the modern imagery and language we might use. The nations are at war. Governments are a mess. People are no longer trusting the very people they used to. We are posting hatred and hurt, fake news, and lies, and canceling each other left and right. Are you with me? Do you get the vibe here? This is what's happening in our time. It's the same kind of expression that the psalmist is trying to bring in his time. And it's all designed to make the reader read the psalm, read the poem, and ask a really critical question. Why is this happening? I wonder if in the last couple of years, as you've seen this stuff take place, Maybe you've asked yourself the same. Why is this always happening? Well, to answer that, we have to step back and look at the broader context of Israel in the Old Testament. Because the psalmist is writing this to the people of God in the Old Testament times, to Israel themselves, challenging them on the way in which they're acting. And if you trace in biblical theology what Israel did in the Old Testament times when they faced a, a, a catastrophe... When something went wrong for Israel, here's what you see throughout the Old Testament journey, time in and time again. They would find themselves in a place of being out of control, and in a panic, they would do whatever they could to get back into control. So how they would do that very often in the pages of the Old Testament it's that they would think about some schemes that would enable them to feel like they're back in control. So they would often try to strengthen their army in times that they felt insecure. They would sometimes reach out to the nations around them and create political alliances. Sometimes, oftentimes, they would push God to one side and begin to worship other gods, thinking, well, we're, we're in a place where we've been worshiping Yahweh. It doesn't seem to be doing any good. We're out of control. Well, let's just jettison what we really believe and let's start 
worshipping all these tribal gods in the hopes that someone, somewhere, it would stick and we would find peace again. It's fascinating to me that human nature, when things are difficult, even for the people of God, is to do this. To push God to one side and put ourselves in his place. When we're overwhelmed, when we're anxious, when we feel like we're spinning out of control, very often what we do is we try to grasp a hold of control in our sphere of influence and our lives by placing ourselves in the center place. But by, by actually taking on the responsibility of providing and making things secure. And so we reach out and we grasp a hold of the other things around our lives that we think are going to bring us stability and push God out of that picture. Are you, are you tracking with this so far? Now, here's why this is important to you. Because if you go right back in biblical theology to the beginning of sin in Genesis 3, what is it that you see there? What is the original temptation that Satan brings humanity? He shows up and he says, you need to eat of that one fruit that God told you not to eat from, the fruit of the knowledge of God and evil. And the reason why you need to eat that is because when you eat it, guess what? You'll become like God. You won't be his image anymore. You'll actually be like him. You'll be your own God. That was the original temptation in the garden. That is the underlying temptation of all sin, that we push God to one side and we become God's ourselves. And if you think about the reality of the last three years here in Hong Kong, and you think about all the turmoil that we've gone through, all the things that we've struggled with, it's been so easy for us to push God to one side and go, I need to find stability and control, so I'm going to work harder. I'm going to earn more money. I'm going to do the things that I know to do to create some sense of control in my ever-spinning-out-of-control life. It's very easy for us to become the shepherd. Are you with me? And we do it because we're trying to find control in a life that's quickly spinning out of control. Let me just say this to you. You cannot control everything. You were not designed to be God. You were designed to be his image. And God's place is character and his love and his power and his mercy and his grace and his wonder in you. And it's an amazing thing. But you were not created to carry the weight that God carries, to carry the struggle that he holds in his heart and his hands. You were not designed to take all of the struggle and the trouble of life on your shoulders. You were not designed to be exhausted because you're trying to provide for yourself and find stability and you push God to one side. That was not how you were created to be. And we sit here wondering why we're exhausted. It's because we're playing God. Here's a reality that if you can get your head around this, really understand this, this will completely set you free. When we drive ourselves constantly to find control in an ever-changing world, we will only ever be more and more out of control. Come on, church. If you constantly are striving to find control in your life, and if you're the one who's putting that pressure on yourself to find that control, find the answers, find things settling down through your own strength, you will only find yourself more and more at war, to use the imagery of Psalm 46. 
Why? Because when you place yourself in the center of your world and you push God to one side, when you try to provide for yourself where God should be providing for you, when you try to find security for yourself when God can only be that security, here's what you will do. You will provide for yourself at the expense of the other. You will do all that you can yourself at the expense of another. In other words, you will be at enmity with the people around you because if they can't help you, you will pull them down. You will do everything you can to protect me, myself, and I. And what happens when we do that is what we actually end up in more stress, more anxiousness, more fear. We actually feel more overwhelmed, which ironically causes us to hold on tighter even more to the reality that we are God. Now, now, this is a cycle that Psalm 46 is trying to communicate to us. Let, let me show you this. I call this the being God cycle. Here it is. So there's being God. Now, how that starts is we try to grasp a hold, hold on and grasp a hold of the things in our lives. And that grasping together, that kind of grasping of control is the very thing that we think is going to set us free. But actually, all it does is creates more fear, more turmoil, more trouble and more war. And because we're now in a place where we're actually more overwhelmed than we were to start with, guess what we do? We try to grasp on control even more which then sets us off in a place of turmoil, wall, and strife again. And suddenly there's a cycle that's taking place in our lives and we're wondering why we're exhausted. We're wondering why here in Hong Kong we're running on a treadmill. We're wondering why it is that we're constantly stressed and overwhelmed and wondering why we don't have stability in our lives. It's because we're being God. And the question is, is there another way to live? Enter Psalm 46, verse verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. There's no Scandinavian mountaintop here. There is a command of God. This is the only time in the whole psalm where God speaks in the first person. This is a command of God to a stressed out humanity that is playing God. And he says, be still. There is another way to live. The the Hebrew word for be still here is the word rafa. You have to roll your R when you say it, rafa. It sounds like, I don't know, the Lion King or something, rafa. Rafa means this. It means to cease. It means to stop. It means to stop striving, cease striving. It means to release. It means to actually become weak. It means to basically give up the idea that we are God. In fact, in the poetic language of the ancient Near East, when Rafa is used, it's often referred to in a metaphor as the place of the dead. When it's used in this scripture, in this point, it's actually speaking of dying to self, dying to yourself. So far from the butterflies, my ponies, and the Scandinavian villages, what God is doing is coming to a stressed out humanity who are putting themselves as God and has shoved him aside. And he's saying, stop it. Stop your ridiculous activity. Stop the ridiculous propensity that you have to try to be God. You can't be God. And if you try to be God, you're just going to be stressed out, overwhelmed. The cycle is going to continue. Just stop it. Do you feel it? Do you feel his passion for you? 
He's standing over you, not telling you off, but inviting you to a different way where he becomes central in everything. He's saying, cease this activity right here, right now. Stop being God, which is why when he says, be still, Rafa in the Hebrew, it's immediately followed by, and know that I am God. Notice that. Sometimes when we read this verse, we think it's be still and know that I am God. In the Hebrew, the emphasis is this, be still and know that I am God. Not you. Not you. I haven't created you to be that way. And you've got all this stuff on your shoulders and you're trying to carry so much and you're trying to be the answer for all your family and all your kids and you're trying to work it all out and you're, you're trying to have all your I's dotted and all your T's crossed and all you're doing is getting more stressed, more overwhelmed, more fed up, more angry, more bitter and you're beginning to not like the people around you in your life and there's burnout after burnout. Stop! And allow me to be what I am and you be what you are. Let go. Stop grasping and allow me to be God. This idea of stopping grasping is, is quite personal for me. Uh, over the last two years of COVID, I've been working out, as, as you can tell. Um, and um, you, should, you shouldn't have laughed that much. That's, that's a little offensive. Um, but I have, a, I have a gym at home. I set up a home gym because I, I knew the gyms would close and stuff, and I wanted to continue to work out. So I set up a home gym, and I've been working with a personal trainer. And you know, you know, you know those memes where like, you look at the gym mirror, and you're like a buff person, and then you look at your home mirror, and you're flabby, right? We have this propensity when we're in the gym to think we're way bigger and better and greater than we actually are in real life. And uh, about two months ago, I've been, I've been pushing my dumbbells a lot and really kind of working on that. And um, I was getting a pain happening down my arm. And I said to my personal trainer one week, I said, I know why I'm getting this pain. I've got this pain in my arm. I'm getting it because I'm trying to lift too heavy. I, I pump so well. I'm so good at doing dumbbell. You know, like I was speaking myself up, feeling great about the incredibly heavy weight that I was lifting. And he was like, where, where, where's your pain? And I'm like, oh, it's like shoots, shoots up like just right here. And he, he sort of looks at my arm and he sort of stands back. He's like, hmm. He goes, Andrew, I, d I don't think your problem is actually the weight that you're trying to lift. He goes, I think the problem is you're gripping the barbell too hard. <laughs> and then he said this to me. He said, you'd be able to lift a lot more if you just let go. And God comes to a stressed out humanity in Psalm 46. And he says, guess what? It's counterintuitive, but it's awesome because it's me. You would be able to carry a lot more if you just let go. See, some of you are crushing under a weight that actually you can carry. But you're crushed under that weight. It's a weight that God has given you, but you're crushed under it because you're trying to be God in it. You're trying to make the answers happen. You're trying to take control. And so the weight's crushing you. But guess what? You can lift. You can carry. You can carry the very weight that God has placed upon your life if you simply let grow of the grasping. If you let God be God again. If you let him hold the weight for you. If you let him be the one who is in control. He says, be still. And know that, that I am God, that I'm the one at work here. I'm the shepherd. And when I'm the shepherd, you are not at want. But the problem is, the problem is we are so often 
in God's place. Now, I want you to hear something really, really, really carefully here. I am not saying let go of your responsibilities. I am not saying let go of the God-given gifts that God has given you. The stewardship of resources that he's put around your life. The, the wonderful talents and gifts and inspiration you have. He's not saying let go of your dreams. He's saying let go of carrying the very things that I have not called you to carry. Let go of trying to control the things that only I can control. Let go of trying to control the things that you were not designed or created to control. Those are the things. He's not saying it's time to quit. He's not saying it's time to give up. He's not saying it's time to just wait on God to do everything. He's He's given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you a mind. He wants you to use it. He's just saying, stop being God. Stop being in the center of it all and recognize that only I can be God. And when I'm God, Jesus would say this in the scriptures, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest and peace and I'll carry the load because then I'm in the rightful place. And some of us are so overwhelmed right now Because we've forgotten to be still. It's a, big, it's a big challenge for us to replace ourselves in relationship with God. Like Emma said in the song earlier, to really understand God is our friend. To really know that he is our Lord and Savior and friend to us. It's so difficult for us to make that happen. But the benefits of putting him in that place are incredible. I want to show you what Psalm 46 shows us here as some of the benefits of knowing who God is. It says, God is our refuge and strength, never present in trouble. We will not fear that the earth give away. He is with us. He is for us. It says here that, that he is like a, a, a fortress to us. It says there are rivers that make streams glad in the city of God. God is, we see him now as this new river that he's with us on. There's all this stuff that's at work in us that, that says that he is our provider. He is the one who looks after us. He is the one who, and it all happens because we are to let go. So, so the antidote that Psalm 46 is bringing us to, opposed from being God, there's this other way of living. It's being still. And being still also creates this incredible cycle in our lives. Let me, let me show you this. So being still, it's about letting go. And as we let go of those things that we're grasping tightly on, guess what happens? We get to know who God is. We get to encounter him. Why? Because we've stepped out of that place. We've put God in the place. It's really hard to know God when you're God. <laughs> it's really hard to know God when you yourself are trying to be God. But as you be still, you let go, you put God in the right place, he becomes God again. And guess what? You then get to know his trust, his security, his help. And guess what that does? That enables you then to let go of even more stuff. Because you recognize that he's actually at work. He is actually holding you up. He is fighting battles for you. So you continue to let go and continue to let go. And a new cycle is recreated. And Psalm 46 is inviting us into that way of life. Let me put both of them together, and you can take a photo of this if you want, if that's your jazz and thing. Here's the thing on the left. That's what we primarily do in life, I think. We are God, and we're stressed out, and there's this horrible cycle of grasping trauma and fear and turmoil, but Psalm 46.10 says, let it go, release the grasp, live a different way, be still, and know that I am God. <sighs> that's a good thing. It's not quite Scandinavian mountaintops. 
It's so, so much better than that. It is being released into the fullness of who God is and putting him in the right, rightful place in our lives. I think if God was to rewrite Psalm 46, verse 10, he would say this. He would say, your ability to truly know me as God is directly related to your ability to let go of pretending to be God. Make sense? Your ability to truly know me as God is directly related to your ability to let go of pretending to be God. And as you let that go, loosen your grasp, you'll find yourself lifting more weight. There's one and only one other place in the whole of the Bible where this phrase, be still, is actually found. And I want to read this to you as I close. This is found in Mark uh, chapter 4, verse 35. It says this. That day when even came, he said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall, a great big storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples, though, were frantically panicking and running around and trying to sort it all out. The disciples were trying to sort out the storm, try to stay alive, trying to work out how they can harness the wind, how they can keep the boat afloat. And they're so freaked out that they wake up Jesus and they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So Jesus got up, he rebukes the wind and says to the waves, quiet, be still, Rafa. It's the same word with the same emphasis and the same passion. He speaks to the storm and he says, storm, be still. And it says immediately, the wind died down and was completely calm. This is a beautiful metaphor of the reality of what our human life is like. We're in this boat and storms come against us and up and around us and we do our best to try to control the storm, try to work it out. And as the storm overwhelms us, the disciples do the right thing. They turn to Jesus and they say, we cannot do this. We are not God. We are not equipped for it. And Jesus stands up and he says to the raging storm, be still. And it dies down and everything changes. But what we have to understand is that in Psalm 46, it's the same word, but slightly different usage. In Psalm 46, the storm is not out there in the world somewhere, and we're asking Jesus to calm that storm. In Psalm 46, we're the storm. We're the ones out of control. We're the wind that's trying to fight against the elements of this world. We are God. And Jesus rebukes us. Be still. Cease your activity. You can't grasp on hard enough. So have the courage to let go. As we start Psalm 23 next week, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. The question you have to ask yourself today is, is that true for you? Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, we come before you now as your people. We come before you knowing this story, the raging storm that is found inside of us. We come to you understanding our propensity to try to control our lives. We come to you understanding that we have the tendency 
to take control of the things that are out of control. That we try to control the things that we weren't actually even designed to control. We try to do everything we can to make our future perfect, when in reality we cannot even begin to impact or shape what it is that's going to happen next. Father, I want to pray today for those where this message is really important. Lord, for those of us who are sitting here today and we know the being God's cycle, where we know we're at war with ourselves and others around us, where we know that we've been trying to get control of an uncontrollable situation so much that it's stressing us out and we're grasping a hold of it. Father, I want to pray today for those that recognize that Jesus is commanding their storm to be still today. And whether you're online or in this room right now, just whilst our eyes are closed, in a moment, I'm going to invite you if this is for you. It won't be for everybody, perhaps. But if this is speaking to you today, if you know that that command of being still is needed in your life today, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand, whether you're online or in this room. You can stand if you're online. I want to invite you to stand and to do so. It's a prophetic act because this is about the courage to let go. The courage to say, I've had enough. The courage to say, I've tried to be God and I'm exhausted and overwhelmed. And I need to be still again. And so for, for us in this room, for those online right now, if you would like me to pray for you about that specific thing, if this is something that's working in your heart right now, I want to invite you just, we're not going to look around. I'm just going to invite you to stand. You're standing in faith right now. And you standing is a way of saying, this is for me right here in this moment. I need to let go. There's a part of my life where I'm holding on and it's too much and it's overwhelming me and I need to let go. Holy Spirit, would you come now for everybody online and in this room in this moment who are standing before you. If you're standing, I just want to encourage you to open your hands. And there's a storm that's raging around inside of you. You're living in an uncontrollable world. You can't control everything. But the good news is God doesn't expect you to control everything. He doesn't ask you to control everything. And letting go of control is freaky for many of us. If you're a control freak like me, this is a word in season. It's hard to let go. But as you hold on, you will know God less. And God's heart towards you today is, I want you to know me. I want you to know my trust and my security and my provision and my power. I want you to truly understand who I am. Would you, Rafa, would you cease the striving and know that I am your God? Father, I pray for a release right now by the power of your Spirit over every person standing before you. Father, they're standing with that honesty of saying, I'm sorry, Lord. And although there's no condemnation, this phrase, far from that cheesy picture we put around it, it is a command. It's a strong word to us. 
And Father, as we learn what it is to put you in the rightful place again in our hearts. Father, I know that all the benefits are coming. Lord, I know the peace and the beauty and the security and the hope and the love and the reconciliation of relationships and the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do. It is yours. God has got so much goodness. When you put him as first in your life, there's such an abundance of his care. So Lord, come. Take a moment just to receive his glory, to be in awe of his goodness. Him in the rightful place is the place of shalom. It's what the scriptures cry out for constantly. And wouldn't it be amazing if we could be a restful presence in an anxious world? If we could be the very ones that people turn to and say, how do you have such peace? And you reply, it's not because I got all the answers. It's not because my bank account's secure. It's not because everything's perfect in my life. It's because I realize I'm not God. And I have a God. I have a shepherd. And I have this one that I get to follow for my whole life. And it is so good. Would you come on Alpha? Would you come and taste and know that this Lord is good? I just want to pray for you just to continue to receive. We're going to go into a time of just receiving from Him in worship. I know we've gone a little bit longer, but I don't want you to rush out of this moment. You don't need to rush at the end of this service. Lunch can wait. This is important work. It's important spiritual work for you today. Just allow the Holy Spirit to do that as we worship over you, as you allow the Spirit of God to worship over you. Find Him again in that beautiful place of Him as your Lord.